Good morning, church. Hey, we switched from my kitchen table to inside one of the classrooms here at Grace Community Fellowship simply because my kitchen table is not available, so I had to come back into the church here today. And so I'm glad you're watching, and if you're watching, it's probably Sunday if you've lost track of what day of the week it is. Hey, perhaps you've heard the, the uh, term the Stockholm Syndrome. Well, that happened in the 1970s as a bank robbers took over a bank, especially one, and then they took four hostages, three women and one man. And the primary terrorist, I'm going to call him, bank robber, lined up all of his hostages against the wall, and he terrorized them. He would take his AK-47 and he would shoot above their heads. And then he would take nooses and put them around their necks and threaten to hang them. It was a terrifying time for 130 hours. Well, this happened in Sweden and the authorities, the rescuers surrounded the building. And finally, the man surrendered uh, without any harm to the hostages. Well, something very interesting happened. After that moment, the hostages were afraid of the people rescuing them and they had empathy for the person who was terrorizing them. And that was confounding to a lot of people. How could someone who was terrorizing you be the person that, that you affirm? And in fact, all of them refused to testify against the bank robber. And in fact, one of the women ended up engaged to the person who had held her hostage. So this is called the Stockholm Syndrome. Now then, why does this happen in people's lives? Why does this happen? And experts tell us that something like this happens, that people get into a situation that's a crisis, and they're, they're emotionally distressed. And what happens is they begin to develop empathy for the people who are their captives. And every little uh, uh, positive thing that happens, like the giving of food or the bottle of water, the kindness of that action by the bank robber or by the hostage taker is overcompensated from by the uh, people who are being held against their will. So in other words, they do a little kind thing from them and they blow it out of proportion. And this has happened many times in our society and experts tell us that people all of a sudden have this like even parent-child uh, fondness for the people who have abducted them. In fact, they call it a mother-child relationship, and they develop strong, fond feelings for the people who have taken them hostage. We listen to that kind of stuff, and we think, well, that's just bizarre. And in my lifetime, I can think of some real events where this has happened. When I was a young teenager, Patty Hearst was kidnapped by a terrorist group called the Symbionese Liberation Army. And several months later, the millionaire heiress became a bank robber with them. Why did that happen? She was eventually pardoned by the President of the United States in the 1990s. Well, this also happened with Elizabeth Smart. Maybe you remember that name not too long ago where she was abducted at the age of 12 and repeatedly raped and, and brutalized by her captors. But then later on, she was allowed to just roam free, but she didn't try to escape. So we can see things like that where people have this Stockholm Syndrome going on uh, uh, that we see in our society and in our culture as well. But here's why I tell you this story. Because the Bible warns us against a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome where the world takes us captive and we begin to love the world. And in fact, it works this way that, that those who were uh, uh, trying to rescue us become our enemies and those who are enemies become our friends. And so people often get confined to the world and we have a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome going on. 
we can see this pretty easy in our churches, and that's my great concern that it happens to us spiritually. Just take a teenager who leaves high school and goes off to college, and all of us who are watching this morning, listening, we've observed this, that somebody grew up in the church, they came to Christ, maybe they got baptized, maybe they went to Hume on a, on a, uh, a summer camp, and then they go off to the University of Oregon or any university, pick any one, and it's not long till they've uh, gotten into the party scene, that they've gotten into the wrong friends, that they've been kind of captivated by this world system. And all of a sudden, they're addicted to Adderall, they're flunking out of their exams, and all of their old friends are gone, and they go to a history class or some other classes at the university, and all of a sudden, they don't even believe Jesus existed, they don't believe he died on the cross, and they become agnostic about spiritual things. I would call that a spiritual Stockholm syndrome. Or take, for instance, a, a business person who leaves their company, starts their own business, and, they, and the business is going great, but they're working a lot of hours, and they're focused on making a lot of money. And all of a sudden, they're working 12, 14 hours a day, and maybe they're not paying attention to their family, to their spouse. They're not paying attention uh, to their kids. They used to go to church. Maybe, maybe even they led a small group. And then a couple years later, they don't have time for any of that stuff. And maybe this person, their spouse says, can you just spend a little bit more time at home? And they get snappy about it. And they say, well, would you at least come back to church with us? And you can see the conflict beginning to happen. And the person finally says, why would I go to church? It's just full of hypocrites. They don't know anything about the real world. Well, what we see there is the spiritual Stockholm syndrome, where they fall in love with making money. And because they've fallen in love with that, it's just grabbed their hearts and taken them down the wrong road in life. And it's a great tragedy such a great tragedy and I'm not the only pastor who feels that way many Christian leaders feel this way when people cross the line of faith and then they're growing in their relationship with God and then they become hostage to something else that's what we want to talk about today and here's our big idea if you're taking notes it'll be on the screen right here it says when we love the world we become its hostage just let that sink in when we love the world we become its hostage. So let me ask you, what are you loving today? What are you loving today? So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, just turn with me to be on the screen, but I'd like you to pull out your Bible, and we're going to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Here we go. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. How can I say this? The world is not your friend. The world is your enemy. And it's the tragedy of the Stockholm Syndrome that happens to us spiritually that bring us down. And we become hostages to it. And in fact, instead of loving Jesus, we're going in the opposite direction. Instead of participating with other believers in a small group or going to church, we avoid people. And it's almost like we've been, been held captive by this world and everything around it. John says everything is going to pass away in this world. This is quite the paradox when we say, hey, don't love the world, because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only 
only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so, and so God loves the world, but we need to be careful how we define the term world because sometimes it means people. So this, world, this uh, term world, it's the Greek word cosmos, can mean people or it can mean the physical earth or it can mean something different. Obviously, when we talk about for God so loved the world, he's talking about people. God loves people. And we need to love people too. And so, but we have this tension sometimes when we talk, when we see verses like this and we think, what is it? We're not supposed to love the world, but love people. And so what's going on here? Well, this term world in 1 John means this world system. The term world means a system of values in opposition to God. You see, when we talk about the world, we're talking about a system of values, a system of convictions, we're talking about a philosophy, a mentality. That's what we're talking about. And when we begin to love that system, it takes us hostage. And then the people who are trying to rescue us, or Jesus even, seems like our enemy. And that begins to happen to us. And John is warning us against this. 1 John 5, 19, John later on in the letter says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The world's values, the world's systems, the world's principles are in contradiction to biblical values. And when those things uh, come like a collision course and, and, and just hit us in our hearts, and sometimes we yield to it. And that's what John is talking about. He's saying, don't fall in, in, in love with the system of the world, the values of the world. And we see this in all kinds of ways. The Bible has some, some advice and wisdom about sexuality and sexual intimacy, that it's only for marriage. But the world says, phooey on that. The world system says, have sex with whoever you want to, whenever you want to. And so it's in direct contradiction. And in fact, the world says, you go to the university, I guarantee you this, cheating is proliferating all over the place. You can buy papers online, you can cheat all you want. In fact, you can even buy your kid a scholarship at a school and get them into USC. And you see, all of those things are collision course with the biblical values that you and I hold together as well. So the term world here means a moral corruption. It means a system that is diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ and everything that he stands for. Now, then this does not mean we should abandon the world. It doesn't mean that we just try to live on a hill somewhere and be away from everybody. Oh, no, no, no. Nothing like that at all. In fact, the Bible says to live, don't be of the world, but live in the world. That's why as a church, I've been trying to lead us toward engaging our culture and engaging our world because we want to present Christ to them. We don't want to love the world system, but yet we want to love people where they're at and help them follow Jesus. Don't you see the difference? That's why we want to participate and help organizations in our community and be involved. That's why we have a structure for doing that with Project Hope coming up in August, or with Willa Gillespie Community School and all that we do there, or the HIV Alliance, or many more. You see, we can love people, but the moment we begin to love the world, the world system, it takes us hostage. And we don't even realize it as well. John is simply saying, don't love the world. That's what he's talking about. Okay, Jesus also said this in John chapter 15 in the gospel, just to keep this in mind for us, that the world hated Jesus and that the world might hate us as well. That's a reality. 
John 15, 18, it says, if the world hates you, this is Jesus talking, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Jesus saying, hey, the world hated me. And we know that's true because they crucified him. And throughout centuries, Christians have been persecuted. More Christians have died in the last 100 years due to persecution than the last 1900 years. Therefore, we know that followers of Christ can be persecuted by the world. You take a stand for something, you could be persecuted by that. So we need to be wise. Let's unpack this word love. John said, don't love the world or anything in the world. So love. We talk about love all the time in our, in our everyday language. You know, I, I, I love football, I love basketball, I love the ducks, I love the beavers, I love my spouse, I love my kids. I love going to restaurants. Well, I used to. I love getting out of my house. You know, all these things that we love, but what is love? What is love? Well, this term love in the Bible, let's just think of it this way. It's defining a desire and a commitment. Think of it that way. Love is a desire and a commitment. And when we begin to love the world by desiring it and being committed to us, it will take us as a spiritual hostage as well. For those of you who are married, I want you to think just for a moment. I want you to think about the day you propose. So I'll just tell you mine. So that week I got uh, engaged to Mary. I remember I uh, sent her some flowers that week, like roses or something. I did some extra special things that week, which in all hindsight, I don't think she ever noticed. But anyway, so then I took her to a really nice restaurant. And I'm, I'm getting ready to pop the question. And I said, will you marry me? And she said, eh, maybe. No, she didn't say that. She said, of course, yes, because she was head over heels for me. I'm glad I'm not at home filming this right now because she'd be in the other room rolling her eyes. But anyway, so it's at that dinner table. I said, will you marry me? And actually, there was a couple at a table not far from us. And I heard them lean over. That guy just proposed to her. They're getting married. And she said it really loud, like everybody in a restaurant staring at me now, you know. Pressure's on. But what if she would have said, what if you got engaged and the other person said, yes, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but there's somebody else I love. Okay, I'm not spiritualizing. I'm not going to say Jesus. What if, what if Mary would have said, I love this guy named Harry too, but you have to be good with that, Steve. I'll love you and I'll love Harry. Now then, if you marry someone who tells you that, you're the biggest fool in the world. You're a moron. I can't believe I said that. We won't edit it out. You're a moron. If somebody says to you, I love you, I want to be married to you, but I love this other person, and I'm going to love them too. See, that's what happens with Jesus. We say that we love him, we go to church, we read the Bible, we got baptized, and then we act like we love the world. What kind of message does that send to Jesus? And it's the same kind of message that a spouse would send when they, said, would send when they say, I love somebody else. I love you, but there's somebody else. And that's the way that Jesus would interpret this. Matthew 6, 24, one of my favorite verses says, Jesus said these words, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So in other words, our love for Jesus needs to be supreme over everything else, and nothing can compete with it. Otherwise, what are the implications? You begin to love the world, and you will become the world's hostage, and you won't even know it. It's the spiritual Stockholm 
syndrome as well. Well, why do we give in to these things? Well, one reason is maybe we're just naive about things, just not aware of it. There's an old proverb that says, um, it says, if you want to know what the definition of water is, don't ask a fish. And I think that means what, once the fish gets out of the water, they realize what they were in because they're gasping for air. It's the same way when people get trapped by the world. They just don't quite get it. It's just kind of naive as spiritual warfare. And sometimes we're just self-deceived. We just deceive ourselves and we get trapped by the world. And years ago, I was talking to a young man in my neighborhood. He was in his mid-20s. And he said, hey, Steve, I want to tell you something. And I was out front in my driveway. And I said, hey, what is it? And he goes, I want you to know that I stopped smoking pot for 30 days. I, I smoked nonstop. I was high every hour of the week. And I, I said, well, how long have you been sober? And he goes, well, 30 days now. And I, I said, well, what's it feel like? He goes, you know what? I see things so much more clearly now. See, that's what happens sometimes. We just deceive ourselves. We're so wrapped up into the world, the system of the world, the moral values of the world, that we can't see for what it is. Sometimes we're just flat out lazy. We opt for the easy way. There's a profound um, biblical apologist, an intellectual scholar. His name is Ravi Zacharias, and he just passed away. But he said this, his quote for him, Immersed in our environment for the last 30 years, we failed to take the ramifications seriously. Suddenly we're thrust into this humanistic worldview, and we wondered, we wonder how it happened. Just wonder. Well, I can tell you how it happened. Fell in love with the world. If you're taking notes this way, I just have two points for you today. Number one, beware of spiritual hostage takers. Beware of that. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Notice three things he talks about. Lust of the flesh, which is our uh, flesh means our, our physical bodies in this case, and it means that we have this internal desire within us, the selfishness uh, within internal evil desires, the lust of the eyes, we see something, we want it, and the boasting, the pride of life. So the term lust means that we desire something. That's all that term means, and most of the time the Bible means something negative, and it's usually in, in conjunction with sexuality or something like that. And we're not talking about lusting after chocolate cake. We're talking about lusting after illicit sexual relationships outside of marriage. That's what that term, generally speaking, means, but it means much more than that because I can lust after many things. I can lust after a, whore, after a car, a house, a Corvette. I can lust after many different things. And so I can desire things that aren't healthy for me. Nothing wrong with having a big house, a Corvette. Nothing wrong with those things, but when they consume me, I'm in big trouble. And in my thinking, and you can... Turn off the TV and say, Pastor Steve went nuts today, but I want to tell you something. Social media is a platform for lust because it shows everything you don't have and it, and it just makes you want to have things that you do not. And then what happens is you will do everything you can to get those things. That will be difficult for you because you see that people go on vacations, places you can't go. You see that they go to restaurants. You see their new clothes. You see... Uh, their houses, their cars, and so forth. Pornography is just another aspect of social media right now. So people can get hooked into that too. And so it just brings out the evil desires from within us. And what happens is what used to be secret has become socially acceptable. It's almost like an acceptable sin. And so gossip or slandering or putting people down on social media, in the news and so forth, 
I mean, it's prolific. And it just feeds that lust of desire for power and control over other, uh, over other human beings. We have to be careful not to love the world, and we need to be aware of the hostage takers, the lust in our own desires. We see things with our eyes, and we want those things as well. Greed, coveting, envy, jealousy, all of those things happen to us. Why? Because here's, think about this, we carry the world within us because we, we, we have a sinful, selfish nature inside of us. So everywhere we go, the world goes with us in that sense. Thankfully, God gave us the Holy Spirit living within us that can help us and that we can be filled with the Spirit and controlled by God's Spirit so that we can say no to the world and yes to loving Jesus Christ. John also talked about the boastful pride of life. It's just the fact that word boastful pride of life was used in Greco-Roman culture to indicate wealthy people who were bragging to poor people about what they have. Well, that doesn't sound so good. But John is also using this term much broadly than that because anyone can fall in this boastful pride of life. It's like the person who's totally doesn't have any money in their bank account. They're bankrupt and they go around bragging how much money they have. I mean, that's the kind of boastful pride of life. It's more than arrogance and pride. It's being pretentious. It's thinking that you're better than other people. It's puffing yourself up in that sort of way. And we have to be careful about those kinds of things. So how do we break free? Number two, break free by loving Jesus. Break free by loving Jesus. 1 John 2.17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Notice that term forever. One of the things that will help you to make sure that you do not love the world is focus on what lasts forever. Everything we see here will not last forever. God's word lasts forever. People last forever. Spend your life developing God's word in your heart. That's a dividend that pays forever. If I said to you, hey, I've got a great, sweet business deal for you. Would you invest a bunch of money for me, with me? And for the next three years, we're going to have the highest percentage return on your investment in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. He said, that sounds fantastic. And then I say, in year four, you lose it all. He said, that's not a deal. And that's exactly why John brings this thought of eternity up. Because we need to be aware that when we focus on the eternal, then everything we see here looks temporal or what we call temporary. And it helps us understand that this world is passing away. And that's what John tells us as well. So the second thing to be break free I have for you, the second bullet point is trust Jesus, not the world. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust yourself? Are you going to trust your family members, your boss, some organization, the government? I mean, who are you going to trust? I can tell you someone you can trust that will never let you down, and it's Jesus Christ, because he said, I will be with you forever. I'm not going anywhere. You may have feelings that he's not there, but you need to base your life on facts, not feelings. And once you understand the fact that Jesus Christ is always with you, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's a, that, that, that means that you can break free from being held hostage 
to the world. That's what that means. John says, uh, sometimes we have this idea, I just need to live a holy life by not doing certain things. I just need to live for Jesus by, I, I don't, there's a saying where I grew up, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. That's so old, it's brand new. That never works because you don't have enough willpower to do that. And so what we end up doing is we end up being frustrated instead of having freedom and breaking free from the world. And so instead of trying just to be a good person, we need to trust Jesus with everything in our lives. Here's the third bullet point that I think will really help you break free, and here it is. Find rock-solid spiritual friendships. I like this term spiritual friendships. We can have great friends, but do you have friends that you share a commonality of Jesus Christ? They know your spiritual story, and you know theirs. In other words, you have this common tight bond. And when you have that in your life, it helps you to stay on track with Jesus. Otherwise, listen to me closely, otherwise you're going to be held hostage by the world and you're going to end up loving the world. I was just reading this silly article about Facebook. And um, the question was, are Facebook friends really my friends? And it all had to do with a, with a judge in a Florida courtroom and one of the attorneys who were friends on Facebook and uh, the opposing counsel sued them to get the judge removed for having a friend be one of the attorneys involved in the case. And the judge goes, I don't even know this person. We're friends on Facebook, but heck, I've never even spoken to them. Well, not only uh, did that actually go to court, but it went all the way to the Florida Supreme Court who ruled just last year that, no, not all of your Facebook friends are real friends. Hey, I just want to tell you something. The world is not your friend. The world is not your friend. Jesus is your friend. And in fact, in Proverbs, it says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who are you loving today? When you love the world, you become the world's hostage. When you love Jesus, you will be set free. That's the bottom line. And John wants you to know, he wants me to know, he wants all of his readers to know, he wants the people who originally read this, those second and third generation Christians, he wants them to know that if you buy into the world system, it will gobble you up and spit you out. And you will end life discouraged, defeated, frustrated. I want something better for you. I want you to trust Jesus Christ with your life. And I want you to find fulfillment in him and not try to find it elsewhere. During this time of COVID-19, one of the things that we are keenly aware of as a church staff is that some people may feel very disconnected, and I believe that could be a problem because you begin to feel disconnected from your spiritual friendships, and what you need more than, other, more than any other time is to connect with people so that you can stay on track. We can help each other. So here's my challenge to you. If you know somebody who's not on track, who's not connected to somebody else, would you call them, text them, send them an email, friend them on Facebook, start a dialogue with them at least? Have a conversation. See, those rock-solid relationships 
keep us going. And the Apostle John wants us to start with Jesus and then have rock-solid relationships with others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that today we can put our hope and our trust in you. God, we pray that we would not become friends with the world so that we can become hostages of the world. Instead, help us to trust in your son, Jesus. And may we find the support that we need from other believers. God, help us during this time to reach out to those who need you and to reach out to our friends who might be feeling alone and isolated. And we pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening.